The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz complexity versus simplification. Three little words, big concept. We have a lot to talk about. So let's get started. Complexity is intensifying for businesses as well as for our communities, our governments, for us as individuals. Everywhere you turn, things are complex. But we're going to focus on business complexity. And my question is, is this what we really want or need? Now, I found an interesting quote by Victor Lippmann posted on Forbes.com in January of this year. And the post title is, Why Business Needs a Chief Simplicity Officer. Let me just read a snippet and then we'll get going. I've long been an enemy of needless complexity. It's frustrating, time-wasting, and costly. Businesses run best when everything from operations to marketing to the customer experience is simple and smooth. Unfortunately, this so often is not the case. As anyone who works in a large organization, and no doubt many small ones too, knows, it's all too easy to get bogged down by cumbersome processes, bureaucracy, and a myriad of unproductive details. Thank you, Victor Lippmann. I appreciate that. So, if the complexity trend we're seeing in business today perpetuates in the big established companies, they are putting at risk the agility, the adaptability, the scalability, and bottom line cost effectiveness that will enable their leaner, simpler competitors to compete better and win bigger. And that's what you're all looking for is the prize. But before your company tries to recapture long-gone simplicity by looking at organizational design and technology tools and business processes, wouldn't you be better off looking at your history, look back over your shoulder and figure out how did you get this way if you don't know what caused the problem How will you avoid repeating it? I have a panel of three experts who are going to share their wonderful insights with us today, and we'll tackle this problem. First up on the panel is Suzanne Passante. She said I can call her Sue because she's a repeat guest, and we're good friends now. She's a VP of Business Integration Services for Day and Zimmerman, and Sue has quoted Albert Einstein, who, by the way, is the most quoted person, living or dead, on all of our SAP radio shows. And the quote, of course, is, everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. Terrific quote. Sue Passante, welcome back. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me. Thanks for joining and accepting our invitation. So you picked this quote. It sounds perfect, but there's a lot of meat on the bones here. Why don't you dissect the quote for us, Sue? I was enthralled by this topic. I, I was so excited when you, when you sent out the um, invitation and because to me it was a a philosophical debate. I, I love this, as simple as possible, but not simpler. 
And it struck me, you know, in my own career and my own company, as well as many other folks that I interact with, we are in the eternal process of trying to make things simpler. And I think we're missing the mark. Simpler implies to me sort of like a tinkering, an incremental change. Yet to make it as simple as possible sounds transformational. And to take a large organization through a major transformational change is is overwhelming, it seems like. So, you know, what are we really trying to do? We're calling it simplification, but it, it I think – you know, a lot of times we're just rearranging the deck chairs or taking out mm-hmm. some layers and that, and I'm not sure all of our efforts and time and resources are, are hitting the mark in most cases. Very interesting. Sue, uh, to me, one of the questions is, when do you push your chair back from the table when you've built this complexity? At what point do you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this web is tangled enough? Do you wait till it's a disaster? What is the hark? What is the cry, the warning cry fired across the bow? Is it internal? Is it external? Just quickly, what have you observed? I think it's when the the measuring stick is how easy or hard is it for uh, business leaders to push through a change to make things simple? And I think it's an organizational design problem as much as anything else. Um, there are a lot of people, hardworking people. I'm one of them that whose career is spent pushing information and interactions around these large companies. I think when you get to the point where planning a large-scale business change is seems to be completely out of grasp without millions of dollars or people, you've probably definitely are in the the camp of we've got too much complexity. Okay. Thank you for your insight, Supasanti. And I'm going to introduce now second on our panel. It's also a returning guest. It's Matt Healy, Principal Analyst in TBR's Software Practice. And Matt sent me what looks like an original quote we're about to find out. He says, never confuse a clear view with a short distance. Wow. Talk to me. Matt Healy, welcome back. How are you? Uh, it's good to be back, Bonnie. Um, I'm doing really well, and, uh, and thank you for having me back on the show. Pleasure. So is this an original Matt Healy quote? Are we going to crochet this on a pillow or write it on the side of Mount Rushmore? I think it's a very worthy quote. Talk to me. What's the source? I don't know what the source is, but it's been bantered around and it's been quoted a lot. Um, If you would like to give me credit, uh, I will take it, but it is undeserved (laughs) because I've heard it in several places before. Um, So uh, I just don't think it's ever been attributed before. I'm going to go take a look after the show. I'll let you know. So what does this quote mean to you in terms of our topic of complexity versus simplicity, Matt? I chose this one for the topic because we look at a complicated uh, process, and Sue was talking about it before in terms of how difficult it is to move an organization forward, and yet we see something and we say, well, it should be simpler, and, and I can see it. It's right there. I can see the future. It's very clear. I know what it's going to look like when it's going to be simpler. So it must be easy to do, but it's not. And the whole thought of it being an incremental process is, is 100% spot on because just because you know what a simpler future will look like doesn't mean that it's right around the corner or it's you know, just a few, just a few yards, yards further. This can be a very long journey even though you have a clear view of what you're going to get to. 
Okay, and by the way, I think I have the attribution for you. It looks like it's from Paul Saffo, S-A-F-F-O, born in 1954. He's a technology forecaster based in Silicon Valley and a consulting professor at Stanford in the School of Engineering, and I'll leave it there. You can go double-check and see if I'm right. For right now, we'll just say by way of Matt Healy. Thank you, Matt, for joining us, and uh, we're, we're glad you could make it off the road and find a safe place to be with us. And joining us third on the panel rounding out is David Fowler, Senior Director for Services Marketing at SAP America, and I have to do a special welcome to Dave because he has been my co-producer and sponsor of our special series, recently ended Season 1 of The Future of Business. By S, presented by SAP, and I said to Dave, it's time you take off your co-producer hat and put on a panelist hat. So Dave, welcome, and I have a great quote from you. The most important things in life aren't things, and all in caps, so I know you're yelling. You can yell at me, Dave. You earned that. Welcome, Dave Fowler. How are you? Morning, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be on the uh, other side of the uh, phone line. There you go. So talk to me. Interesting quote. Things in caps. I'm, I'm shaking here. Talk to me. Um, in my um, in my point of view, the um, the real key to simplicity, or gaining simplicity, or creating complexity, is all around people. Uh, we have innumerable systems today that help our lives, and yet we still are able to uh, create complexity at alarming rates. And one of the things that this kind of harkens me back to is my, um, my days as a consultant in manufacturing organizations. And the real buzzword that we used back then was to make the informal system the formal system. And if you can think about a manufacturing organization, uh, it's very easy to bring in processes. But the people who are actually executing the processes will ultimately find the simplest method to accomplish what is required. So when we talk about simplicity and the ability to achieve it, it really gets into the whole people aspect to make sure that um, people are thinking and acting and working towards simplicity. Very interesting. Dave, how are those people perceived? Do they get their hands slapped if they inadvertently miss a step because they simplified? Or are they really the geniuses who are able to drill down to the core, to the pith, if you will, of what's really important? Let's say a 100-step process, and they get it down to 12, and they do it really well. What do you think would happen to them if, if the person who designed the process says, wait a minute, you can't do that. Whatever happened to the other 88 steps? What happens, Dave, in the real world? Well, the, the, uh, oftentimes the CEO, if they have visibility to it, would be cheering. And the layers between would be in various states of, hey, that's a good idea, to, hey, we can't do that because... That's not how we've done business in the past. So oftentimes in very progressive companies, um, it's really encouraged that people um, optimize a process, if you will, towards simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, in, but in a lot of companies that aren't necessarily as progressive, what I've seen in the past is that that type of activity oftentimes gets stifled and, quote-unquote, corrected back mm-hmm. to a more complex process. So, again, That's it really, kind of, it really mm-hmm. kind of gets to the, 
the, the makeup of the company and the people in it. Who's watching and pride of ownership. Very interesting. Thank you for that observation, Dave Fowler. Guess what? I'm going to ask the toughest question the three of you are going to have to answer during the whole hour we're together. And you know what it is. What's in your cup today or what do you wish you were drinking? Let's turn back. Go back to Sue Passante. Sue, what are you drinking or what do you wish? Or after the show. I am drinking a cup of black Wawa coffee. And for folks that are listening that are not from the mid-Atlantic region of um, the United States, Wawa is this hugely successful chain of convenience stores, and they just have nailed simplicity in terms of navigating through the store, getting in and getting out, and their their coffee is just really, really good, and it, it puts some of the other leading brands, um, gives them a run for their money. So we, we buy it here in the, the company, and we get free access to it. So, of course, lots of fans here for Wawa. Wonderful. I remember Wawa when I was living in New Haven a gazillion years ago, on right. The, right off of the Yale campus, and there was a Wawa store. So they, they actually brand their own coffee now, Sue? Oh, yeah, and they do um, wow. uh, corporate coffee service. Like, they come in and take care of the whole thing, like um, like a, a food service, catering, all kinds of so stuff. Now we know it's wow-wow and wow-wow. That's very interesting. Oh, my goodness. That, that sounds delicious. And, Matt Healy, I know you're traveling, but what do you wish you were drinking, Matt? Well, it's actually, you know, I, I'm flashing back. Sue has called me flashing back to the days when I lived in Philly, and, yes, I agree with her on Wawa Coffee. Um, right now I am actually drinking water, amazingly boring. But since it is now summer up here in the New Hampshire area and I can run outside, I've been running most evenings, and I had a nice long run yesterday, and I woke up this morning probably a little more dehydrated than I needed to be, but it was worth it to get the five miles in. Oh, we're proud of you. We're very proud of you. We like healthy here. You have to be healthy for this exercise, being on the radio with us for an hour. Thank you, Matt. And David Fowler, I know you're more than prepared to answer this one. So, Dave (laughs) Fowler, what are you drinking? You've waited how long? Months to answer this question for me, and now it's your turn. Talk to me. Well, today I'm actually drinking a cup of Newman's Own coffee out of my Kerrig. And I've always thought of myself as a pretty simple guy. But there is some places where I do draw the line, and that's around my coffee. So it actually has cream, two shots of Starbucks hazelnut flavor, and uh, half a teaspoon of sugar. That sounds very uh, reserved on the half a teaspoon of sugar. I've been going back to drinking coffee. I bought myself a beautiful red Keurig Mini to go with my new red kitchen kitchen counters. And um, I have a feeling that I've been drinking the full-strength stuff without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And, I can't, and I'm actually doing okay, so I may actually be able to tolerate caffeine. But I have a shout-out here on Twitter from Malcolm Kimberlin. You all know him from SAP. And he says, I'm loving my cup of love. Oh, I love that. By Phil's Coffee. It's black as the stallion and helps me run just as fast. Oh, Malcolm is waxing poetic today. Thank you, Malcolm. And Brad, you can tell us, our engineer, what you're drinking on the break. Guess what? It's time for a break. You've all worked very hard. I'm going to go out for just about 90 seconds here, but I'm speaking today very privileged to speak with Sue Passante at Day and Zimmerman, Matt Healy at TBR, David Fowler at SAP Services. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, in case you didn't figure that one out yet. And you're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP 
In case you're keeping track, this is episode number 140. That's right, and we'll be celebrating our third anniversary of SAP Radio this October. So there. Well, I don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're coming back with a roundtable that's nonstop for 30 minutes with my panelists. And our topic today is complexity versus simplicity. How did we get here, and what are we going to do about it? Brad, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap to speak with Bonnie D. Graham and her guests, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, a simple way of looking at simplicity. It can be very complex. And by the way, we are tweeting. We have some active tweeters. Oh, somebody's got a hold ring there. Very pretty. Uh, we are tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. We've got SAP Services. I think that's Andy Greek tweeting for SAP Services tweeting today. And Malcolm, Brad, we've got some funky music on the line. I don't know where it's coming from, but we're just going to gonna go through it. So we're going to start off our roundtable with Suzanne, Sue Passante at Day and Zimmerman. And Sue said, me a interesting interesting way of looking at our topic of complexity versus simplicity she says simplicity in quotes want to make something more simple or as simple as possible and i know you're going to tell us what the distinction is so sue why don't you launch us on our round table we're going to go 30 minutes nonstop. stop Pasante, you're up thanks bonnie um you know it, it's funny that uh, this is a topic it came almost to a week later um, after I had had the privilege of attending a large technology business conference. And there were two gentlemen, one from academic uh, background and one was a, a computer scientist, and they were actually debating this on stage during this uh, big presentation. And I had heard, you know, a lot of people say, well, our today's business technology is finally catching up, and um, I think uh, – Matt Healy is going to talk about, you know, our processing power and our memory and all of this fancy technical stuff now makes it impossible to actually get that sort of nirvana state of simplicity. Well, anyway, these two gentlemen, the, the computer scientists went into great lengths to describe, imagine a world where you didn't have any of this 
complex technology and what would the organizational implication be? And my friend and I were sitting there, and we literally, our jaws dropped. I, I had not heard this before. And if you think about it, if the technology really is as simple as it could possibly be, like an iPhone, and you really, as a business person, you no longer had to focus on how you get your information, who you're going to talk to, updating this person, um, and you just went immediately to the information that, that you needed to, you know, get closer to your customers or actually deliver the services. I mean, it's profound to think the impact on large corporations today, that whole middle section of which I work in, <laughs> mm-hmm. our whole world is spent pushing information around to different functions in a company to ensure that these complex processes and, and functions go forward. And if the technology took that all away, imagine the world where w- what would we all do? <laughs> what would our jobs be? I mean, it, it's just it's fascinating that technology could even get us to that point of, of simple business transactions. Thank you, Sue. Matt Healy, I want to hear your point of view on what Sue just proposed. Well, I, I think what Sue proposed is really interesting, and I think um, I'm going to take uh, not necessarily the other side of it, but we, we, if you took all the technology out, you have to realize that the technology has been put in place because it is optimizing tasks and making things faster. So you, there is a techno- there is a productivity benefit from it. But if you look at the history on how technology was built, we identified silos or departments or tasks, and then we wrote software to optimize those individual tasks. So we had a problem keeping track of our customers, so we wrote CRM. We had a problem keeping track of our supply chain, so we wrote SCM. Now, what what those softwares and what the, uh, what the processing power and what the data centers were all designed to do was really to optimize those individual job functions because that was what we could do with what we had. The problem with that and the reason you start getting into the complexity and the reason I think we're, we're at an inflection point in terms of memory, processing power, and better software is most of us have to interact with multiple systems and multiple um, different tasks within our normal job so it naturally becomes complex in terms of getting these systems to work together. And so we're now at a point where we can start optimizing for individuals' business tasks, despite the fact that they may cross multiple systems and multiple traditional silos. Up until relatively recently, I'm not sure that was possible. So, so, so you use the iPhone example. That's great. But if you don't have all the underlying building blocks to be able to pull the iPhone together, you can't pull the iPhone together. And, and I think that over history, the complexity came from building those building blocks. I mean, I mean do you see kind of how I'm thinking about this? Mm-hmm. Dave Fowler, do you see where Matt is going with this? It's your turn. Yeah, I do, actually. And um, one of the things that um, I want to go back to is kind of just to blend the two different concepts. The technology part is really important, but or it also really gets back to me to the, uh, to the organization. And mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things that is um, really critical in, in simplifying is to really eliminate, if you will, the overlaps in responsibility within an organization. So if you look at um, any large organization, many different um, groups and job functions, 
the complexity oftentimes comes in and it, it, it becomes somewhat self-creating and self-perpetuating when there's more than one part of the organization that's actually focused on trying to accomplish the same goal, um, sub-goal, if you will. And um, just tying then also back to the organization being deep versus flat, um, oftentimes, and I talked about it before, this, this kind of middle layer of, of um, organization that, that helps with coordinating things and so on, um, there was a nickname that we had for it back in the 80s, and it was called the impermeable layer of clay, mm. where things that started directionally from the top never soaked through to the bottom. And it really gets into, um, in my opinion, focusing on both leveraging of the technology and organizing the people around, um, you know, simplistic or more common goals. Thank you, Dave. Sue, I'm sure you have something to say on what the two gentlemen added to your original start I to do. this thread. When I first heard David's quote about the impermeable layer of clay. My mm-hmm. first reaction was, well, I'm not clay. And then I thought, oh, but that is so right. <laughs> I mean, it is just, it's just incredible. It's almost, yes, we have that layer of clay all over the place. Um, you know, I just, I have to share, I, I was at a, another, had a conversation with a few people, and there were two gentlemen who were putting in an ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning System, from the scratch. And they were there all worried and nervous and, oh, will it work? And how are we going to do this in implementation? And I could see the concern on their face. And my friend and I were sitting there going, oh, you're so lucky because you can start all over again. You're starting brand new. You don't Mm -hmm. have any of the problems we had. And you know, we forget what that was like uh, in the days when you, if you were lucky enough to be part of something brand new, the promise of it, and what was simple, right, a simple goal, um, an objective. But, you know, the people are going to make it complicated because no matter how good the technology is and no matter how many integration points we, we you know, solve, it really is what David said earlier. It, individual people make up their mind on how they're going to interact, and they do find the simplest way. And maybe the way to simplify is to glom onto that, their thought process, as opposed to an abstract software program that has this concept that we all have to change to. And, you know, maybe, maybe we're just approaching it from the wrong angle. I have a question for the panel. This is Bonnie. Question is, the origins of this complexity, it builds, it grows. Do you think it comes from ego, from the need for job, the misplaced impression that it re- will build job security, you know, make it so nobody can, can get into it, nobody can figure it out, and you'll have a job for life, that kind of thing? Where does it come from? What human need? And I'm going to call on Matt to start this one because, uh, Matt, you quoted to me in your notes, you said the second law of thermodynamics states that the entropy of an isolated system never decreases. And loosely translated, thank you for translating, Matt, because I didn't get it, things tend toward disorder. But do you think people plan that disorder? Do you think people say, oh, I'm building this and I want it to be complex, so I own it forever? What's, what's your thought on that, the human side? Matt? I, I think that's half the equation. 
I think the mm-hmm. other half of the equation is fear. And I think it's misplaced fear because you start looking at a, uh, it's a combination of ego and fear, which is, I know how to do this. I know the best way to, to build this process. And I'm not sure I can trust anybody else to do it exactly right. So I'm going to specify every single thing that has to be done. And so I'm going to build a process that is so complicated because um, not only am I the only one who knows how to do it, but everyone else is going to mess it up, and I'm afraid of the consequences of them messing it up. And so these processes become very complicated because they're invented by somebody or they're thought of by, by people who want to specify every single possible thing that could happen, every integration point, every every permutation, and you just can't do that. And so you end up with very complicated processes. And in a lot of cases, and I'd be interested to hear Sue's comment on this when we get around to her on on this particular Mm -hmm. topic, I've seen simpler systems that have fewer steps, but more control points uh, pushed down to the people on the ground. There is a somewhat snarky management theory that says if you have a difficult, complicated task, give it to a lazy person. They will find an easier way to get it done. So I think if you push some of the, the decisions down and trust the people underneath, give them some authority to make some of these decisions, then maybe your processes don't become as complicated, and you, and you allow some experimentation and some simplification on that level. Um, so I think it's ego, but I also think it's fear. Sue, you've been you've been summoned. What do you say? Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, we were had a topic a little while ago on design thinking, and mm-hmm. you know, some of the techniques around design thinking was to do exactly what Matt just said, and that's the folks that do this work, have them come together and kind of walk through some of their ideas on how they can do it. Um, there is a control thing. Uh, but, you know, the, the control is, is designed, you know, for a, a purpose. You know, I guess transactions have to be, you know, navigate through these complex systems a certain way with a certain outcome. Um, so it, it is a balance between, you know, letting people find it, I, you know, find it in a simpler way to do it. I find what happens is no matter how prescriptive the, the process is, whether you need the control or you don't, humans just want to make it their own. They want to, mm-hmm. you know, it's no different than rearranging your desk and, make, you know, putting different wallpaper. And I'm not <clears> trying <throat> to minimize it or denigrate it, but software doesn't allow, at least the business complex transactional side, doesn't give you that freedom. And maybe that's the issue. Let people feel that they are controlling it, um, you know, to a certain extent. I love that word snarky, though. That's <laughs> I do too. I, I, I don't know whether to laugh or yell at that one. Good, pic- good picture. Where we're, it's true. It, it really is. David Fowler. I know you have a lot to say on this. You've been listening patiently. <laughs> what are the thoughts? What are you well, observing? I actually, I actually agree with the the points that both Matt and uh, Sue brought up. Um, I, I kind of bucketed into three different, um, maybe you want to call it personality types. Uh, the first one is that I feel that people need to feel needed. And oftentimes, if you're the, and I'll, I'll, I'll um, use a, an example here from home. If anybody at, in my house has a problem with the computer, they come to me. So there's this, this feeling of being needed to help out with certain things because I have 
an expertise that I can share with others, and if everybody else can do it, then um, my 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 uh, sense of need would go down. The second bucket I would put it in um, people into is the whole. There's power in holding information. Mm-hmm. So if you're the person who is the expert, and you're not you're not working to um, share that knowledge with other people and and empower other people around being able to do what you can do. Um, number one, there's there's power in that. Uh, but number two is that you have now chosen your career for any amount of time going forward because you're not working to try to to uh, replace your um, your your place in the in the organization. And then the third one is really around what I'll call um, entrepreneurship and uncontrolled empowerment. And we went through a, a big phase with um, organizations around empowerment, empowerment, empowerment. But if that's not controlled, that will very easily um, create complexity because if everybody thinks that they can take what they're doing and really kind of roll it into their own business within a business, that mm-hmm. very quickly creates all these different pockets of entrepreneurs who are who feel that they're empowered to run their business within and oftentimes when we talk about the overlaps the the entrepreneurs in a given organization's businesses overlap with one another so it's really around right. the sense of need the sense of power and the sense of empowerment Interesting. Matt Healy, I know you have something to say. Uh, Dave's, I think we're doing Psychology 101 of, of ownership of complexity versus simplicity. Matt, thoughts? I, I, Dave, I, I think, I think you're, you're right on that. And I think that if you really want to drive towards simplicity, what I've seen is a lot of overarching um, process and very complex process. Now, if you were to put me in one of those buckets, I would be in the last one. I'm the innovator type. Um, I've taken multiple personality types. I always come up high on the one who thinks outside the box. And so naturally, I feel very constrained by process. But what I've noticed is in the environments in which I've been most successful, the management and the senior people above me have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort building teams that have complementary skill sets. If you have too many of me, you're going to end up with a chaotic, complex system because you're going to have 10 people going 35 different directions. But if you don't have me on your team, you're going to end up with a very rigid process that nobody can follow. So I think if you're, if you're going to bucket this and you really want to drive to simplicity, you have to spend a lot of time thinking not only about what technical or let's call it academic type skills you need to accomplish the task, but also kind of what personality types go into that area so that you can end up with an efficient, simple process has the right amount of crazy out-of-the-box thinkers who can look and figure out a new way of doing things, but enough people who know what the process is that it doesn't get out of control. That is hard for management to do, is to find those balances. Um, and so, so I think if you really want to drive the simplicity, maybe we need to start looking not only at the process, but also the people who are in the process. Yeah, and I, yeah, I agree with that. And one of the things that I feel is that when you start looking at these individual types of why somebody is, is a, um, creating a complexity point within an organization, that management and um, the teams and so on 
need to uh, be able to deliver the, that human need, the, 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 the fact that somebody needs to feel needed, without that person having to build that themselves okay. around being a complexity point in a process, for example. So the, the key is understanding that you're needed, but you're not needed because of that specific skill mm-hmm. that you have that nobody else has at that point. But right, Dave, that's a lot of work. Yeah, your personality <laughs> type fits what we're trying to accomplish, and these skill sets and what you are innately does, you know, helps helps us move forward and and um, really putting these together. But but that is, but Bonnie, you're right. I'm going to kick it back to you. That is a lot of work. Yeah, it, it is a lot, lot of work. work. And I, I'm thinking, uh, thank you, Matt, and I'm thinking on our HR Trends radio sh- series, which uh, just finished season two, and they're coming back for season three in September. Uh, we talk about a lot about the hiring process, and a question I often pose to my panelists is, how do you know when you bring somebody on board? How deeply do you go into personality testing, for example, and habit testing? How do you know that, in, in the light of our context, to my three panelists I address this, how do you know they won't be the one who say, hey, I'm not needed enough or recognized enough around here. I'm going to make things complex so people value me more. You don't know that when you bring them on board. You really don't because the dynamics of the team have not evolved yet. Interesting point. Now, I want to bring Dave Fowler in to uh, play out another conversation thread or lead another conversation thread. By the way, I think we're, we're going in a lot of really interesting directions here. I hope the panel agrees. Dave, I want to go back to what we're really honing in on here is the people part of complexity, the people part of simplicity. And I'm going to read from some notes you sent me before the show, David. I'd like you to kick this part off, and then we're going to ask Sue and Matt to comment, and I know they will. You say, processes surrounding person-to-person interaction have been moving in two directions simultaneously throughout history. Interesting points. Number one, faster connectivity, and number two, less interpersonal. That, I think, is the kicker. And Dave's example is we communicate instantly with each other through texting, which offers a little emotional interaction compared to turn of the century where letter writing was an art. But it took days, weeks, months. Who knows how fast the Pony Express was for the exchange to occur. If you even had the same emotion by the time the person got the letter and sent it back, who knows if you even cared. So, Dave, talk to us about this person-to-person interaction, which is really an extension of what you were speaking about before. Go ahead, Dave Fowler. Yeah, in in history, you know, I, I mentioned about an evolution. What we've really done is we've traded one kind of complexity for another. So in in the past, um, people uh, used to pick up the phone. They'd talk to each other. You'd schedule um, meetings to to go through things, um, and it was very much by the end of the meeting, you usually knew where someone stood, what they were thinking, and what their next steps were going to be. But it took a long time. It took a long time to potentially achieve that, and it took the effort of actually interacting with someone. Oftentimes, if they had a different point of view than you did, uh, it was sometimes difficult to get through that. Whereas, you know, we've kind of evolved today to being able to sit down and with a, the with a couple of texts within uh, the business environment. Uh, launch an entire project, but the problem we have is then really understanding if that person who is taking lead on the project, if you will, is actually going to take it in the direction that it needs to go because we don't have a sense for 
really where their head was or anything else. And, you know, so it, it really becomes trading the complexity of the interpersonal communications to simplify how we, how we interact with one another. And that can then ultimately create much more complexity later on when we realize that we really were not in sync with one another because you couldn't look at somebody's eyes and tell that they were they were understanding what it is that you are asking them to do. Mm-hmm. Good point, Sue. Thoughts? Well, it it sounds like. Um, I, well, I agree with David. Uh, it sounds like years ago, maybe not that long ago, the interaction part, where you actually you know called up a person and talked to them, was the work, and we seem to have cut that work out, or we think we got more efficient by cutting it out because we can just lob it over the fence faster. And I think what's going to happen is, you know, you, because this project manager in, in David's scenario, we're never really sure if he got it or if he's going to take the team in the direction that's wanted, you're actually going to end up doubling back, you know, to validate all of that. And, you know, maybe – the rise of social networking in a business environment is, is the need to go back to that interaction. And, you know, I've heard, um, you know, criticisms of that. I've, now I've got another system I have to talk to people on, and now I've got like five different systems. And I find it ironic that, um, you know, in change management best practices, you know, it's, a, it's all about go and sit down and have a conversation with someone. Go and get their feedback. So humans seem to want to connect with one another, yet we seem to make things more complicated by either adding more ways to communicate or cutting out the, the personal interaction and substituting a delivery system of just to-do items. But it's, there's really nothing. There's, nothing's going to take the place of that personal interaction to steer people in a direction where you want them to go, I guess. I don't know. Good, good point. Matt Healy, I, I want you to – go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Sue, the, the one thing I would, would add to that as well is the, is the need for the feedback loop. And one of the things that gets really complex is that when we have the different teams and so on that all have this kind of overlapping scenario is asking for a slightly different kind of feedback from the same person from, you know, several different stakeholders. And that, that in and of itself then helps to complex this whole communication process uh, around needing to spend the time to individually then answer back to people with, you know, maybe a 50% overlap of the information situation to situation. Matt, thoughts briefly? I have somewhere else I want to go before we go to break. Go ahead. But, but, but I want to – I want to – I want to take what there's, what's been said one step further. Um, if you went back uh, in time a few years ago, there was a, any number of articles in the press and surveys and polls and everything that talked about how much time uh, knowledge workers spent answering email. And the tenor of all of these arguments was, wow, look at how much time is being wasted on email. <laughs> well, back up one second here, just for a second. Maybe it's a little too inside TBR, but right now, in the summer months is when most market research firms are going through their product portfolio planning for the new com- new year. You get your portfolio in, in line for early September because that's what, what, our, what our cycles are. A lot of that is 
socializing new products with new people to get different perspectives. And email is a very valuable tool in that. So I'm not wasting time by answering my emails. I have relationships with other analysts. I've sent them an email, maybe with some slides to say, I'm thinking about taking this product this direction. What do you think? And as you build those relationships via email, via Twitter, via any social platform, via stopping by their office, via phone conversations, that is a lot of my job, at least in the summer. So these communications tools, which which some people seem to think is wasted time, I, I'm going to take a step back. And, and I think that this person-to-person communication will make things simpler, will make things easier, but it's also kind of part of your job. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yep. Oh, I agree as well. I agree. As now, well. I want to go in one more place, one more direction. It's it's 45 after. I'm thinking of taking a break in three minutes, but if this gets interesting, we'll just go straight through to the crystal ball round. And my point is that I'm looking also at Dave Fowler's notes, and Dave makes this very interesting point. We've been talking so far, Sue and Matt and Dave and I have been talking about looking inside the inner workings of a company. We're looking at processes and complexity. How do we get this way? But we haven't taken it to what I call the bottom line of simplicity was, if you you don't make it simple enough for your customer, the consumer, you may not have a company to be complex about. So Dave makes the point, quantum leaps in making it simpler for the consumer are linked to business, managing big data in order to track users as individuals. So let's take this thread, and we don't have much time, but I'm, I'm tempted to skip the break so we can do this. Dave, since this was your talking point, why don't you lead us? Isn't it critically important for any company to make sure the customer experience, they want it faster, they want it now, and they want it simpler and simpler and simpler? Isn't that really where this has to head? Dave Fowler? Well, I think that's at the, that's at the point of the entire discussion. And I think that if, if you look at just we're all consumers and we all have our preferences, um, we're, we're tracked with everything. You know, I go into a website, it says, okay, well, if you like this, you'll probably like these things as well. Um, so there's, there's been so much invested in moving that whole ball forward to make it so much easier for the consumer. And I know personally um, I will shop in certain places and not shop in other places because it's simpler for me to do what I want to do with, you know, Situation X. Um, what's interesting in, in some of the things I've been posing back to some of my colleagues has been put yourself in the shoes of you as a consumer and think about that if you were going to be doing or being asked to do this to accomplish a sale um, or to buy something, would you do it? And look at that really from the, the consumer's lens in terms of what will we put up with or what are we willing to do um, when we're out in the marketplace and why is it that what we do internally can't be organized and as simple as if we were a consumer all the time. Mm, very interesting. Put on your consumer hat. There's another one for Dave to wear. Sue, what do you I, think? I couldn't agree with you more. And if I could wave a magic wand, I would love for my business dealings and systems today to be like Amazon Prime because I can have it in two days 
And I think, David, you said uh, we were going to need the landing spaces on our back porch for all the deliveries and that, you know, because we buy everything, um, you know, and have it delivered to the home. I mean, think about that. Years ago, I can remember my parents would talk about, you know, in the 30s and the 40s that everything was delivered to your home, you know, your milk and your produce and mm-hmm. your fish and all of that, at least at least in an urban area where, where I'm from. And we're kind of going back to that. Anything you want as a consumer, you basically can go on the Internet in five minutes, arrange it to be delivered to your home in a day or two or whatever, and get the competitive pricing for it, and get people to tell you whether they liked it or not. So if so you're absolutely right. I mean, that's very insightful, isn't it? If you, if you put yourself in the shoes of the consumer, why wouldn't our dealings every day in a company why shouldn't they be that simple and then we can translate that out to our customers to make the experience that simple um it's crazy isn't it that that from a consumer side they seem to have nailed it but not internally in the company exactly matt healy i want your thought we are skipping the break by the way we're going to go right into the predictions in in about uh three minutes so take your time matt thoughts on inside out outside in simplicity what do you think i i i i think i i mean i'm glad so you brought up amazon i live on amazon um i buy almost everything from amazon because add to court cart is easy um and how come the internals can't be that way I keep coming back, and maybe it's just who, maybe it's just the way I view things. I keep coming back to a lot of stuff comes from a position of fear. The thought is, as I'm a consumer, if I buy something and it's not right, well, you know, it's my decision. It didn't really affect anything. But if I'm, if I'm, a, you know, an executive or a middle manager responsible for something internally at my customers, and I don't trust anyone else to do anything, I, I'm not sure that, I, that it should be quite this simple. They should check with me. They should check because things could go wrong, and if things go wrong, then I'm at risk or my profit is at risk, my bonus is at risk. So I think that it's easy to, to say it should be like the consumer, and this is the clear vision versus a long path. It should be that simple. I can buy anything on Amazon and have it in two days. Love it. How come I can't do that in my company? Well, wait a sec. I'm a little bit more afraid of this. I have a little bit more structures. And and I've just seen so much concern and, and, you know, coming from a place of I'm worried about this. And if there's a problem, it's going to come back on me and I'm going to have to work nights. And so I'm going to restrict that and I'm going to make it complicated. It's not I'm going to make it complicated. It's I want to make sure everything is done exactly right before you push uh, by internally, so to speak, um, so that nothing breaks down the road and I don't have to deal with it. And so I, I think that there's an intrinsic difference. I think that Amazon is the clear vision. The internal structures and the internal buckets that Dave talked about are the long path to get there. Okay, and guess what? We have taken ourselves right up to the precipice here, and I'm going to make it really simple for the three of you. We are now officially in the crystal ball predictions round of the show. I have got seven minutes left. I need 45 seconds to close the show, so I'm going to parse this out at two minutes apiece maximum. Super Santia Day and Zimmerman, look ahead. Will we need a chief simplicity officer? If yes, what companies, what size will need it, and how is simplicity really going to play out for the bigger companies and with the small companies stick with that plan. Supasante predictions, two minutes, go. I don't know if um, every company needs a simplicity officer. It sounds like that would be 
um, under the purview of, a, of the, the COO, chief operating officer, or the CEO, to the extent that the leaders, top leaders of a company, have to have a clear vision and roadmap to simplify, that I would absolutely agree with. So it's probably my prediction would be that this theme of how do you become simpler, how do you make decisions about simplification and controls in that that um, that'll probably be in the management schools, and we'll all be talking about it. And what we used to call, uh, you know, optimization, now we're probably going to call simplification. But it, it's a it's a long road ahead. I agree. Okay, thank you, Supasante. We have time now for two minutes from Matt Healy in his car somewhere. Where exactly are you parked, Matt? I'm at an extended stay America parking lot uh, someplace uh, north of I-90 on 495 in Massachusetts. Okay, that's good enough. We won't try to do a Google Maps on you. So talk to me. What do you, what do you predict? What, what do you see coming down the pike? Who's going to win the battle, the complexity folks or the simplicity folks or somewhere in the middle? Talk to me. So interesting, I think that the companies that are going to win um, are going to be the ones that are simple. Amazon is, is – uh, one of the biggest failures in the retailers right now is being Amazon. Um, I think that the companies that have this culture of simplicity are going to be the ones that win. I think that in order to do it, I'm not sure you need a, a CSO, a, a chief simplicity officer. I think you need something that's going to be very difficult for management to um, achieve, which is the ability to let go of control, to trust your people, to give them some of the decision-making – but with that decision-making comes the other thing that's difficult for human beings to do, hold people accountable for mm-hmm. bad decisions and bad processes and understand that if you're, going to, if you're going to push some of the authority out and allow people to start simplifying process and do things, build your teams co- correctly and then hold them accountable. People need to be needed. We need to be liked. And the boss that holds people accountable, oftentimes he or she is not very well liked, and that's difficult for management to do. There was a, there was a Netflix um, presentation that was running through the email that was an orientation uh, that basically said, we hold people accountable, and people who don't make it, we provide them with very generous deference packages. <laughs> that's certainly direct. By the way, I interviewed on my TV show last night, last week on my personal radio show, uh, a novelist, a, a former Navy Navy uh, Marine guy who worked with the SEALs, and he created the Bad Boss app. And you, he uses neuroscience where you put together your profile, the boss's profile. It customizes an ebook that's exactly $1.95. The app is free. It's, on, it's available for uh, Mac devices right now. You might take a look at that. Very interesting and very fun. His name is W. Craig Reed, R-E-E-D. Okay, and Dave Fowler, last but certainly not least, I can give you exactly two minutes on the clock. Go. Predictions. Okay. Um, first off, I think that the, the idea of a chief simplicity officer just adds complexity to, um, to an organization. Um, the, uh, I think that there's probably a couple, three things that are going to uh, be evolved to in the future. And like Matt said, it's not going to be an easy path. It's going to take some, some real work to, to get there. But I think that we're going to see uh, a little bit of a, a evolution or revolution, if you will, around organizational structures. I think it's really going to be uh, start at the top and kind of come down through the organization. I think that the, the way you think of a classic organization today will not look like the organization five years from now. 
And a lot of that's going to get in, I think, also not only top-down, but also um, around teams and goals and working within um, uh, different boundaries than we do today. The second thing is I think that there's going to be a lot of companies like the auto companies had, had done um, where they had acquired a, all different kinds of businesses and then they've divested them all, is that companies are really going to look at what their core competencies are and they're mm-hmm. really going to rally around their core competencies. Why are we in business? What is it that we're really here to do? And they're going to look at shedding those functions that add complexity but aren't necessarily real contributors to their core, com- uh, their core competency. And then the last thing is I think we're going to see a real – um, uptick in the automation of the middle-level responsibilities. So as you're looking at the, the organizational structures, the kind of things that are done in the middle of an organization, I think are going to really be targeted around, um, around automating many of those functions. So I think okay. that in five years, we're going to see something very different. Thank you, Dave. Good perspective from everybody. I have a couple shout-outs. First of all, we have a tweeter who comes and goes on the show, and she's here today in full force. It's Karen Geraldo at kheraldo24. Karen made some really great comments. Check them out at hashtag SAP Radio. And thank you to Andy Grieg for tweeting and Malcolm Kimberlin also at hashtag SAP Radio. I have to tell you that Brad, our engineer, is drinking a Dutch Brothers macadamia nut blend coffee. So there, I asked him, he responded. I want to say a special thank you to Suzanne Sue Dante a day in Zimmerman. Thank you, Sue. Matt Healy, thanks for getting to a safe place and joining us. You're usually at TBR. You're in a parking lot now. And Dave Fowler, nice to see you turn the tables and join us at the table here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. I have a call to action, but first I want to tell you next Wednesday we're at Coffee Break with Game Changers Live. My special guests are Don Peppers and Anthony Leeper, and we're going to be talking about three crucial steps for creating a frictionless customer experience. I think the word simply Simplicity will creep into that one, too. Stick around, and we'll find out. So thank you, everyone, for joining me today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.